We're going to um, spend some time now looking at Jesus. And um, we've been working through our vision uh, in the morning services. And uh, it's, it's been, for us, I think, a real refreshing of why we're here. You know, and if you're part of the church, you're part of the mission. And this is the mission, to make Christ known, to proclaim him to people today, to make disciples. We should all be involved in making disciples. Who are you discipling? Who are you encouraging in the faith? Who's encouraging you in the faith? And we want to um, spend some time on prayer. Ooh, normally it's written up there, but it's, it's gone, it's missing. There you go. Anyway, praying for revival, which is part of our story and journey as a church. Because God has already done that once in this church. For those of you who know the history of the church, church closed many, many years ago, and God opened it up. An ancient well, he opened up. And then it sort of ebbed and flowed, and then it got down to low numbers again, and the Lord did something new. He is used to doing things here, and we want to press in for the more of God. So praying for revival is part of our vision. I've not seen it on many churches' vision statements, um, but that's what we're about. We're asking God to come and move amongst us. So taking that a step back, we're encouraging us to be a prayerful people. And uh, of course, that's just normal part of Christian life. We are prayers. We are those who hunger after God. But sometimes our prayer lives can become barren and a little bit stale. And we just want to, over these weeks, just to spend some time looking at prayer. I remember when I was first a Christian, when I first became a Christian, I realized, I knew, because I'd been brought up in the faith, although I'd rebelled against it, I knew about it, I knew that prayer time was important, and I used to set aside prayer every morning, and I'd make a list of the things I would pray for. And as many of you know, because I'm a lazy thing, uh, the list sort of, you know, I started with real passion and energy, and then over a period of time, you know, the list, I, you know, I went through the list quicker and almost then presented the list to God because he knows the list anyway. And then I really sensed that God said to me, uh, as a very young Christian, I know, I know what's on your list, Phil. Talk to me. Tell me what's on your heart. And just that very few early weeks of my Christian life, it changed my prayer life from being just a set thing, a religious thing that I thought I would do, to a lifestyle. And I want us to be challenged this morning of making prayer not a lifeline, but a lifestyle. Make prayer a lifestyle, not a lifeline. So the question I want to pose this morning is why pray? That's our theme for today. Why inform God of things that he clearly, if he's God, already knows about? Have you ever asked that question? Why, why do we tell him things he already knows about? Well, there's a reason. I want to read just a few verses, and you won't be able to follow them, and I'm hoping that Alan can follow them, because they're just small verses that I've taken, snapshots of Jesus in prayer, because we're going to look at that as an inspiration for us. Mark 1, verse 35 is the first one. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. 
He left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Luke 6, verse 12 to 16. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he designated apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was the zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Luke 22, verse 31 to 34. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. He replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the cock crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. Then Mark 14, this is in Gethsemane, verses 32 to 36. They went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then a prayer of Jesus on the cross, Mark 15, verse 34. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. At three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then John 17, how are we doing, Alan? Oh, you're brilliant, very good. The prayer of Jesus as he prays for us. My prayer is not for them alone. I, also, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be where I am, to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. If I wanted to make this sermon last 10 seconds, I would answer the question, why pray? 
Because Jesus did. Why should we pray? Because Jesus did. Do you remember those bracelets that uh, many of us wore? What would Jesus do? Do you remember those? Are they still around? What would Jesus do? Today I'm just asking, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? And Jesus prayed, very clearly prayed. He who was one with the Father made prayer a discipline of his own. I want to look again this morning at this privilege of prayer and the reason why we pray. Prayer as a lifestyle, not as a lifeline. Jesus never wondered if his Father was there. I wonder if we have ever thought, oh, is God there? Is he listening? The Bible just shouts out, yes. Yes, he is there. He hears, he listens, he loves, he cares, he understands. And Jesus never questioned the importance of prayer. You know, he assumed that we who would follow him would be, who would call ourselves followers of Jesus, would pray. In his model prayer that we sometimes call the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer, he didn't begin it by saying, well, if you pray. He said, when you pray, and gave a model for prayer. When you pray. And as a Jew, Jesus would have prayed in the synagogue, in the house of prayer. He would have prayed probably three times a day in that way. But he also, as we have seen in our readings, he prayed in a way that had never been seen before. Certainly the disciples. That's why they asked him, teach us to pray, because there was something so different. And the way Jesus talks about prayer, that it makes everything possible. Prayer made everything possible. And Jesus was one with the Father. But he taught us to pray. And Jesus' prayer changed everything for us. No one before directly addressed God as intimately as Abba, Father. We know that. This is nothing new to us, is it? We have the privilege, because Jesus gives us the privilege, we can call God Abba, Father. Jesus used that phrase 170 times, and he said we could too. To have a continuous, spontaneous communion with God our Father. And that's the heart of prayer. And sometimes in our Christian walk, we can lose the heart of prayer. Just that continuous, spontaneous communion with God as a lifestyle. Not religious, not a duty thing, but a delight. And in the model prayer, the, the Lord's Prayer, deals with the stuff of daily life. It deals with worship. It deals with God's will and reign. It deals with daily provision, forgiveness, trust, temptation. It's about bringing our heart to God. Not making it something we pray through and as if it, well, we don't think about it. In a way, prayer... Gave Jesus a view from above. Prayer gives us a different perspective on the situation that we're facing in our lives. Because we're lifting it all to the one who knows all and loves 
and cares. I love it when we see glimpses of Jesus getting frustrated because it just shows us how human and understanding is of us. How he reminisced about the hidden realm in, in the prayer of John 17. He says, glorify me in the presence, in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. We sometimes forget that Jesus had glory shared with the Father and the Holy Spirit before it all began. And Jesus left all of that to become a human being like us, to save us, and to give us that new life. And Jesus reminiscing about the glory he had. Or when he gets exasperated, oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, how long will I put up with you? See, Jesus came from a place where his father's commands met no opposition. Where your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what he asked us to pray. That his kingdom would come, that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's coming. One day it is coming. His will is done in heaven. Jesus knew the difference between the two places. And he walked on this earth as a human being for 30 or so or more years. We have instances in his life about that, the times when the Father speaks audibly before his baptism. And as he's being baptized, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. On that mountain of transfiguration, when, when he is shining with the glory of heaven, God speaks again, the Father, this is my Son, whom I love, listen to him. Yes, there are those moments in Jesus' life here on earth where his Father speaks directly. And there are moments in our lives when we have mountaintop, we call them mountaintop experiences, encounters with God. But even in Jesus' life, they were not every day. We wish they were every day, wouldn't we? We would live on that place. But even in Jesus' life, he relied on prayer for that communion and spiritual nourishment. He would go away before everyone else had got up. He would find that place on his own with the Father. Spend time. What a privilege we have. I mentioned that a few weeks ago. To have this relationship with God, our King, Lord, Savior, the one who calls us friends. We're friends with God. I, I, I still can't get over that. That I'm a friend of God. He calls me his friend. And communication is the currency of friendship. Do you have a friend that you never speak to? You never communicate with? But you would say, yeah, he's one of my best friends. Friends talk. They talk in different ways with different friends. Sometimes, very occasionally, and I, I play golf very occasionally. My golf season is when the sun comes out. 
and then it's not raining to the time when it gets too cold, you know, and you have to put a coat on. That's my golf season. But sometimes Hermie will ask me, if I've gone out, say, with one of the guys, what did you talk about? You know, you've been out four and a half hours. What did you talk about? I said, not very much. See, when I play golf with some of my friends, things I say is, did you see where my ball went? <laughs> the other favorite thing we talk about is, four! If you don't know golf, you won't understand what I'm talking about at all. Very occasionally we say, nice shot. And very, very occasionally, that's a miracle. That's a miracle. It went in the hole. With different friends in different situations, we share banter. We talk about the football or the, the tennis. Murray playing right now in the final. I know some of you have got your iPhones out and you're pretending you're reading the Bible. You're just keeping, <laughs> keeping note of the score. Ah, I won't tell you, ask you to own up, but there you go. With other people, we share ideas, opinions, and questions. And others we pray with, and others we have heart-to-heart, -heart, intimate conversations. Sometimes with a friend, we are soul-to-soul -soul with them. Because in all of those things, friendship includes communication. And friendship with God encompasses it all. All of it. There is reverence, of course, but there is intimacy, of course. No, we're not matey with God. We recognize who he is, but he calls us friends. I saw on the news the other day as uh, President Obama was being inaugurated, they were interviewing um, some chap who was his friend. And they said, you know, what does it feel like that your friend who you went to school with is now the President of the United States? He says, it's really weird. You know, he's just Barack to us, you know. And when we meet up, we just chat about the old things and the school and whatever, but he's the President of the United States. Our friend made the universe and keeps it going just by his word. And the God who keeps the universe going cares about you and me. How do we know? Because Jesus says it's true. And the Bible says it's true. He cares for you. Cast all your cares, all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So we can bring to God all our fears, all our failures, all our triumphs, all our joys, all our sins, all our doubts, all our faith, all our hurt, all our confusion, all our why gods. And trust him with it. We trust him with it. And sometimes those times can be silent, sometimes we can use words, sometimes they can be liquid in the form of tears. But it's this friendship thing. If you've ever asked the question, if the Father knows what we need before we ask him, why do we pray? It's because friendship. It's intimacy. It's a lifestyle, not a lifeline. Some of us, prayer has just become a lifeline. 
We just talk to God when we get to the end of everything else. Prayer is a gift to keep company with God. That continuous, spontaneous communication. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? And it's probably true of us all that we do it already. Our prayer lives are great. We can't wait to get time with God. We can't wait to go for that walk. We can't wait to get to that chair that we spend time with God in. But I'm a realistic person enough to know that for some of us that has become difficult. Snatched moments. And we even feel guilty about it. I'm sure I've said this again recently. Don't. But begin again. Why pray? You need it. You need it. When you get sick, you go see the doctor, don't you? Because, well, some of you ought to. We need God. And he invites us. But prayer, as we all discover, doesn't come as naturally to us as it did to Jesus. Sometimes it is hard work. Not that rejuvenating refuge it meant to Jesus. And it is a discipline to learn to dialogue with God rather than monologue with God. You know the difference. That we sit, wait to listen as well as we do all the talking. Have you got a friend who just does all the talking? All the talking. And while you're talking, they're just waiting to get back in to talk. Sometimes we're like that with God. But we don't let him get in. And he understands. I know. I'm sure he understands we pray more when we're in trouble and need. I just look at my life and I, I pray more earnestly when I'm in trouble or need. Prayers get desperate. Crying out. But even in those readings, we see Jesus praying intensely at key moments in his life. Jesus, whose hands flung stars into space, felt a compelling need to spend time with the Father as he prayed. And if Jesus did, how much more for us? And some of Jesus' prayers are not fulfilled yet, either. That prayer for unity, John 17. Anyone's slightest acquaintance with church history, or even last Sunday night in Chipping Camden, if you were there. There are 34,000 separate denominations, Christian denominations worldwide, and counting. But it will come. Jesus spent all night in prayer before appointing the 12 as apostles. Important decisions in our lives. Yes, we do need to set aside that space and that time to hear from God. That job, where are you going to live? Worship, where are you going to worship? Seek God on it. Sometimes I read it and I just think Jesus spent all night before he chose those 12 and perhaps he should have spent another night, you know, really. 
I know that sounds irreverent, but I came across this, I don't know if you've seen it before, um, illustration. I'm sure I brought it. This is the panic moment. Did I bring it? Oh, yeah. From management consultants in Jerusalem, addressed to Jesus, thank you for submitting the CVs of the 12 men you've picked for management positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests. We've not only run the results through our computer, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. It is the staff's opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you're undertaking. They do not have the team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience and managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, they're sons of Zebedee. They place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a question and attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel that it is our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alpheus and Thaddeus, definitely have radical leanings, and they both registered high on the score of manic depressives. <laughs> However, one of your candidates shows great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, and a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend... Judas Iscariot, as your right-hand man. I wonder if Jesus ever said, did I hear right from you, Father? Ray Anderson, um, I came across this quote this week. Prayer is not a means of removing the unknown and unpredictable elements in life but rather a way of including the unknown and unpredictable in the outworking of the grace of God in our lives. I'll repeat that. Prayer is not a means of removing the unknown and unpredictable elements in life, but rather a way of including the unknown and unpredictable in the outworking of God's grace in our lives. One of the readings we had was when Jesus talks to Simon, and he says, Simon, Satan has asked that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Peter was sifted. Peter failed three times in the courtyard. Why didn't Jesus just say, hands off, he's mine. You are not to touch him. He belongs to me. I think in this, it hints at the underlying pattern of how God operates with us in this world. Satan always overreaches himself, we know that. And Peter actually emerges repentant, refined, submitted, humble, and restored. And it tells me those times in our lives when we don't know what God is doing and we think he's got it wrong. He knows what he's up to. He is working his purposes out. And we who are not God may never comprehend it, may never understand it. 
But where else would we go? He has the words of eternal life. God has an uncomprehensible and unfathomable respect for human freedom, our freedom, free will, free choice. Even when he knows a close friend will betray him. Again, I'm amazed. Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, when Judas comes to betray him with the soldiers, Jesus calls him friend. You are still my friend. And there was still time, even afterwards, for for Judas to repent, I am sure, but in his remorse, he hung himself. Jesus respects human freedom, free choice, free will. And as we pray for revival on Monday night, we see Jesus in the garden grappling with his Father in prayer as we grapple with him in prayer. We cannot begin to imagine the burden Jesus carried that night. Abba, Father, if It's possible. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. But not my will, but yours be done. Jesus surrenders to the Father's will. Let's make prayer a lifestyle, not a lifeline. That as we're a church that prays for revival, we're a church that just prays. Day in, day out, day in, day out. That continuous, spontaneous communion with God, relationship with him. Yes, sometimes you'll have to get up early and spend that special time. Yes, sometimes we need to have an all-night prayer. Sometimes we need to get on our knees and just cry and cry and cry. We pray because Jesus prayed. And if we want to be more like Jesus, if we want to say we're followers of Jesus, then let's put our footsteps in his. And know the amazing thing that Jesus said that he continues to pray for us. Romans 8 says, Jesus who died and rose again is at the right hand of the Father and is also interceding for us. Please come Monday night. Cry out together. Or where you are. Let this church be a church of prayer. Passionate. Desperate. Let it begin in our lives. Lifestyle, not lifeline. Let's just spend a moment in quiet as we respond in our own lives, our own hearts. Let's just be still for a moment as we ask the Holy Spirit just to come.
Thank you, God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for this amazing gift that you have given us of prayer, friendship with you, to be able to walk with you from this earth into eternity in relationship. Forgive us, Lord, when we've seen prayer as a duty or a religious thing, where it's got lost in our lives amid the busyness. We want to put a marker down this day and we will walk with you We'll share our lives. We will worship. We will honor you and we'll seek to live lives worthy of your calling, but in relationship with you. May prayer become for us a lifestyle, not a lifeline. And as we walk with you, help us to know you better. Help us to hear you more. Guide us, direct us. Challenge us, strengthen us, convict us. That we might be the people of God that you want us to be. We surrender to you again today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Just as we were praying, uh, Susie had a picture, lots of fishing lines in the water with hooks on. Jesus will show us where to fish. The shape of the hook is important. If it goes down to the person, then curves upward with an arrow and points upward toward God. We are to share our faith with people but give the glory to God. One of the keys of sharing our faith is knowing who God is at work in, isn't it? And we need to be asking. The Alpha Court starts in March. Wouldn't it be great if all of us ask somebody, but we're asking God, who would you want us to ask? We often talk, we want to see the lost saved, but we don't want to open our mouths. Let's be praying that God will reveal those people to us. Maybe they're already on our hearts. Maybe we've asked 10 to 15 times, then ask again. Let's worship together.